Ryan. Hello, Rachel. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay, but <sighs> Rachel, it happened again. I tried to warn us, but it played out exactly how as I remembered it. I traveled. I tried to go back, Rachel, and stop us from covering Star Trek Discovery, but we didn't listen. We didn't listen. <laughs> we did it, and you mean you didn't listen? I didn't I tried. Listen. I saw the warnings and you didn't heed them. No, I did not heed your warnings, uh, but we covered Star Trek Discovery, but now we're covering Babylon 5. This is our redemption arc part of the podcast (laughs) in which we redeem ourselves. But then why are we planning to regress and do... We aren't doing it yet, Rachel. We're doing Babylon 5 one episode at a time in a rewatch capacity, which does mean we're heavy spoiler podcast. And not only are we heavy spoiler podcast, which means people should actually watch Babylon 5 if they want to listen to us, but we are a yum yum focused podcast. Yum yum is from Star Trek Discovery, an important line, a pivotal line of dialogue wouldn't you agree? Yes. It changed everything. There was a time in which we didn't have yum yum. Isn't that sad? Rachel? Isn't that sad? No. See, Rachel had a moment of silence there because she was wiping a tear from her face and she's saying no because she doesn't want to admit to emotional frailty on the pod, which I understand, Rachel. But we are watching Babylon 5. We watched... A particularly important episode, Babylon Squared. And I want to ask before we introduce our guest, this is a tradition at this point. This was not something we planned, but it is now a part of the DNA of our show. Who in this particular episode of Babylon 5 would have, out of nowhere, said yum yum if this was written by the Star Trek Discovery writers? The dude that randomly shoots at Sinclair and Garibaldi. Really? Not Zathras? Nah. Not? No, I don't think... I, I I don't know. I, I just don't feel like there's a point where I... It, it, in other episodes, it might be Zathras, but not this one. My contender for the yum yum is actually not Zathras. It seems like he would say it. I'm not going to say... Okay, here's how I would describe it. Zathras is the obvious choice. The correct choice is Garibaldi. Garibaldi has massive YYE, which is yum-yum energy. Him pulling the pranks, him asking about fasten and zip and socks. Man, he was one step away from just replying to Sinclair with a yum-yum in this episode. Mm -hmm. He was was edging. At the breakfast, it would have been perfect. Oh, oh, when Ivanova wakes up and has a a freak out about it, he would have walked off going, yum-yum, Commander, and then he would have left. Immediate candidate for the yum-yum. But we have brought some yum-yum into this podcast, Rachel. We have a guest joining us, the brother of a previous guest, which is an amazing feat. We haven't had that before, I do not think. We have not had relatives of other guests come on in this capacity. So this is a first. Everyone, you better be sitting down because Nick is here. Everybody, let's all welcome Nick with a solemn but respectful Yum yum, Nick. Yum yum. That was the that was way better of an introduction than I deserved, but thank you for that. Uh, I, I guess you could cross off as yes, both brothers as well as twins. 
So yeah. everyone can. Are you the uh, evil one, or is Pat? Uh, we 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 argue about that, and you know that's just a race to the bottom, I guess. <laughs> no, you're more evil. <laughs> you're more evil. Uh, neither one of us is trying to proclaim to be good. Just say that the other one is more evil. Um, there you go. Although we used to, our running joke would be that we would always refer to uh, like Timmy as the long lost third brother. Oh, yeah, it's Timmy that did it. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> these kinds of things still still worked. But uh, yeah, no, happy to be here. Um, you you're. I, uh, while I was not uh, regularly watching Discovery, I was uh, living vicariously through the pod and uh, uh, helping me to, uh, to remind me, I guess, as to why I actually would not want to watch it. It's um, <laughs> not a full episode. The only episode that I watched as I was listening to Yum Yum uh, was the, uh, the Mud uh, t- Time Loop episode. The, the good most, episode, yes. The good episode. And I was like, okay, there's a good episode. Okay, I'll watch it. So I did watch that one, but the rest of it was... Uh, uh, I'll watch bits here and there. I've got all the time in the world. And in the meanwhile, we still don't know what this does. Let's find out. Who do you think would have said yum yum in this episode? Yeah, I, I, you know, obviously I was listening in, and I, yeah, obviously... Zathras is the obvious choice, and but now whenever you're given the challenge as to what's a good but not obvious choice, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if like somebody had a flash forward or flash back, and and they flash to a point where they're just eating food, just going mm, yum yum, and then that <laughs> it comes back to the present, like just a, a way to slip in. I guess it could be anybody. Just it depends on where you you slip into in your in mm. your time jump, right? You just have me jumping into. Oh, I remember this food. Oh, it was yummy. Um, <laughs> so I can't think. Of, I can't pick. I can't pick someone. They could have flashed forward, and uh, Sinclair is asking Garibaldi if he wants to go kill the bad guy, and Garibaldi licks the blood off of his lips and throws his bald head back and says "yum yum," and then it would have been one to one the scene from Discovery, and it would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. So you're telling me just briefly that you haven't watched too much Star Trek Discovery? So have you even seen in real time the yum yum moment? No, I have not seen that whole episode. I've seen the very small clip, uh, and I know that there, there's the AI sausage line preceding it. Uh, yeah, and, and I was like, oh, just, like just, ew, <laughs> ew, yeah, like, uh, no, don't, don't, don't be friends with Space Hitler. That's that's not okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the big important question that I think this episode has to bring out of all of us before I get into your history with Babylon 5, Nick, and your relationship with it, which I is... I don't know how much I can contribute You to can this. contribute because you, you, you wear pants too. Do you, do, you, yeah, do, you, do you fasten and zip or zip then fasten? Where do you go, Dick? <laughs> uh, fasten zip. <laughs> wow. Fasten zip? Rachel, where do you go? It's a tough thing. Where, what do you do? You wear pants? Yeah, but I don't have pants that yeah. have the option to zip and fasten. Yes, you do. You're a no. liar. You're a liar. Fastening, no. You could say no. the fasten is you're buttoning them up if you want. No, I don't have pants that button at the moment at the, in but my you life. you have had pants. Yeah, and then I, I, would, okay, so, I would fasten then zip. Really? Yeah. Okay, so my good friend Bartek who was on a previous episode of this podcast 
said to me this situation was like bizarre to him because he said, I'm a fasten zip guy. I don't know anyone who could relate to a zip than fasten guy. And then I said quietly like a mouse, I'm that guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a zip then fasten type of guy. And here's my justification. Okay. I feel like I have to justify it. In the same way, do you put milk and then cereal in the bowl? No. Okay, so you're not totally insane. <laughs> but I am a, but I am a, I put both socks on, then shoes type of guy. So that's no, where yeah. Sock, yeah. sock question comes in. But here's why I do this. Here's my monkey brain working and my protective brain. My brain is saying, zip up pants first so that your junk is definitely hidden. Mm. Okay. intact, and then fasten. Because I'm going to notice if I haven't fastened up rather than if I haven't zipped up. There's a greater chance of me walking around with unzipped pants than unfastened pants. And that is my justification. I'm always wanting to hide and protect my genitals from the outside world. And that's why See, I, I zip first. I think for for uh, any guy that... Uh, you know, I've got... I've, gotten the dad bod as the years have gone by you know that 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 fasten before the zip that fasten helps us secure things so that the gut yeah. doesn't accidentally push it back open when you're trying to do the yeah. zipper so it's a structural assist in a way yes uh, now that being said assist. i would have done that i would have done that you know 20 years ago the same way but at least now i have an excuse <laughs> there you go it's an important thing so nick what is your history and relation with Babylon Five, uh, you know, I, I I can't remember how I heard about the pilot. I just, you know, I'm presuming I saw some sort of uh, TV spot advertising it. Uh, we didn't have in Canada the um, what's the name of the network that was on? You know, that that news station. It was just uh, uh, other syndication in Canada because it was not going to be like, oh, we have. WBTN or whatever the whatever that, mm-hmm. that station was called. So, um, but it was advertised. Uh, you know, uh, I was obviously watching Star Trek, and I was like, oh, here's another sci-fi. They, you know, every now and then we talk about the number of '90s single season, uh, then canceled um, sci-fis, and you know, there's also a good collection of shows that got like a TV movie, but you know, backdoor pilot that. That you know, I watched it. But I feel like there's at least four or five that I can distinctly remember that never went to series, but I still enjoyed them as like a TV movie. This is before the Sci-Fi Network made it. You know, it's thousands uh, shark-based uh, tornado. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so this you know, when it came on, it was just like, oh, here's another one. You know, like oh sure, I'll give it a try. And I remember enjoying it. I know Pat, you know, uh, on his episode, he said he couldn't remember for sure if he had seen the original. TV movie, the the gathering, back when it was on. I remember seeing it, uh, and so I, I suspect he probably also saw it. But it's just so I, I'll I'll just confirm for him that he he did see it. This is this is uh, Pat. This is Nick calling you out on your memory. He remembers. <laughs> oh, we we have a, a, an ongoing thing of like remembering things for each other. Like D-d-d- I don't remember this, and he says, "No, no, no, you definitely were there." I'm like, "Okay, thanks." You know, like uh, especially you know uh, now that we live in different parts of the country and different cities you know that was a little bit of a difference but it, it jokingly was that uh, so many of our experiences growing up being twin brothers were shared experiences so 
if we forgot the other one could usually remember <laughs> but uh, so yeah no we you know, we watched the the movie the movie there uh and obviously then deep space nine was around i don't think i really put a lot of thought into uh you know while watching the show as it was airing you know when i watched it as it as it first aired um how much of a comparison there was to D Space Nine. I don't think it was until later that I really put some thought into the things that were the same, the the Ducats and the Lidas and those things like that. But uh, yeah, no, there definitely were fans of the show and um, collected the card game and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't, and I never, I didn't see all of Crusade up until only, you know, recently. It was just a few episodes that I had saved, so I had a little bit more B5 media, and then finally watched those. I know probably you have most of the show, most of the season of Crusade that you haven't watched, but <laughs> I've watched all of Crusade. I haven't watched any of it. You've watched one, so did I? Yes, you did. So, uh, so I did it. I said I knew. I knew I was not going <laughs> to do it. Pat, you're not here. Go away. Nick is here now. Nick is the chosen one. So where does Babylon Five? Oh, it's me, 5... Pat. I'm just gonna go ahead and sign off now. Bye. <laughs> okay, okay. There we go. He's gone. Moist, moist. Is that possible? That can't be it. Just can't be it. Let's get into the DVD summary for Babylon Squared, which is episode 20 of season one, if I am not mistaken. We only have two episodes left after this. We'll be wrapping up season one quicker than uh, quicker than it feels. It, like it, This season's been long, but in a good way. It feels like we've had a wealth of discussions, and Babylon Squared will bring on many more things to talk about. But what does the DVD have to say about this, Nick? Before B5, there was B4. The long-lost station mysteriously reappears, triggering a desperate scramble to rescue B-4's crew before the craft slips again into time. There's another revelation, the astonishing identity of the galactic spiritual leader called The One. B-4, before. I like how they put that in the same sentence a lot. That was fun. That's my favorite part of the description. They they still stole that on Nemesis when they named the other android b4 well did you so, get it in star trek nemesis he was called b4 because he was before data did, oh i only really did, got did, it when we watched picard did, did you get it oh yeah well, remember star trek picard what a great show that was too bad we're never covering it rachel what is your history and relationship with babylon squid you hyped this episode up on our first watch you are like it's a seminal episode though. things change <laughs> things happen um and then I remember watching it being like, this is really satisfying because it sets up so many mysteries and I'm just like, okay, I trust that they're going to get to this. I want to know the answers. Like right now I want to power mm. through however many seasons it takes me to get the answers. I want to know who Zathras is or why Zathras is. What Zathras is. <laughs> when Zathras is from. Yeah, yeah, all of them. How is the like, Zathras Zathras? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'll get up. And you're like, you'll get. You'll get your answers, you'll get your answers, but enjoy the journey. Mm-hmm. And on the rewatch, it's an episode that flies by. Yeah, I always love this episode. As every person who's listened to our podcast in the past knows, 
I have had for se- many a century. For- Ryan only had the season first one. season on DVD. And of course, of course, this was the episode. Of course, it was because not only is it weird and unexplained in the context of the first season, it's just such a weird episode. It almost outweirds signs and portents. In its delivery, it has that line again, though. It does have that line again to remind you of that episode. But I love this episode, and I always have, because the Babylon 4 mystery was the one that fascinated me the most. It was just always a casual line of dialogue thrown in there. Like, yeah, the first three exploded, and then the fourth one disappeared, and they never treated it as this big thing that was so important as I, as a viewer, did. They always just said, like, oh, that was a thing that happened. Like, that was weird, but it was a thing that happened, and uh, like, we, we've we don't got know other shit to do. We've got we other we shit can't to worry do about that right now. And it will always make me lean further in my seat going, what the f- what do you mean another one disappeared? Where did it go to? I want to know the answers. And I'm also a fan of stories about missing planes or ships or people that reappear and we have to... You really do enjoy the episode of Voyager with Amelia Earhart I enjoy the Amelia Earhart episode, but I enjoy those stories about... Uh, the places of space in which things infamously disappear, the Bermuda Triangle, all of that stuff. I really enjoy those type of stories, the Flying Dutchman type stories. And so this tickled that bone as well of fascination of those type of folk stories and tales and seeing Babylon 5 bring it into its sci-fi setting and then sprinkling it with a big dash of time travel nonsense, which... I remember being very mixed about when I watched Babylon 5 for the first time all the way through because Babylon 5 seemed pretty grounded, seemed pretty... uh, More realistic sci-fi. It had its rules. And then once you throw time travel in there... You get a Star Trek Discovery Season 2 where it could go really messily and could really mess everything up and make it super confusing and you just open up a whole avenue of fuckery. But I think Babylon 5 managed to rein it in enough and when you watch an episode like Babylon Squared upon a rewatch, it's still enjoyable because you know this makes sense. This isn't just a random episode to be random, like many Doctor Who episodes during the Stephen Moffat era, in which it's like, this episode's lol random because it's all timey-wimey nonsense, and you're scratching your head going, is this going to matter? And then you realize years later, oh, that never mattered. This matters. So it also is one that I enjoy because I remember that sensation of watching it back in the day looking at it going, this is absolute chaotic nonsense, but this will have to mean something eventually, right? And this was in an age of television in which it it may not have. It could have gotten cancelled. This could have just been a dangling threat, especially with Sinclair leaving the show. This could have just been something that dangled and never got tied up together. But with how things played out... It does get an answer, and thus the satisfaction of viewing this again is even higher because they actually pulled it off, and they could have easily dropped the ball here. But Nick, you demanded to come on for this episode. I actually asked you if you wanted to come on for another episode or two, and you were like, no, no, no. 
Babylon Squared. I want to do the B4 episode. So tell us why this one and what has been your relationship with Babylon Squared? I mean, this is a, a pretty important episode, a dense episode. And whenever, you know, I would think back to episodes in season one, this one always stands out partially because obviously like, yeah, because of that, what I think is a very satisfying uh, conclusion uh, to Sinclair's story. Um, you know, it's just, it's such a great world building episode. You know, it gives us so much to kind of ponder and think about. And, you know, let's be honest, it gave us a few years to, to ponder it before it actually gave the answers. Like almost to the point that by the time we got those episodes, part of us had kind of forgotten about the episode, right? Like maybe <laughs> not totally, but like you kind of, you kept, you maybe, maybe you stopped wondering, well, what did that mean? What did that mean? What did that mean? Because you're just busy with other things. But then, it, you know, the fact that it does come back later just makes it like, okay, it's part one of a three-parter, essentially, um, in, in that in that story. And, and obviously, um, knowing, because yeah, watching the show when it was first on and um, O'Hare um, leaving, um, you know, I was always like, well, why did he leave? Never really knew. Okay, well, and I, I did go through that phase of like, ah, but yeah, yeah, Tron is better, um, you know, because he was around and he was the more actiony, I guess, to a degree. And he was sexy and cute, and he had the voice. Mm, I don't know if I ever thought that. I, I, I did, I did, I think I did agree with everybody else where it's just like uh, the the zenness of of uh, Sinclair was definitely missed. Like, I like that aspect of him more. I think it was J. Michael Zuzinski had said that the, the network executives were happy to a degree that they got Bruce Boxleitner because he was essentially, from previous experience as well, like a cowboy, right? Like, he comes in as a cowboy, and that's what you got. Whereas um, Sinclair being uh, the, not necessarily the reluctant hero, but, like, certainly he... Uh, is just a guy, you know, he's obviously got military history in the family, but he's just trying to be a good leader. Um, and he's maybe Three a little years bit of more... Jesuit training. Yeah, he's a Jesuit. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, 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 he's probably a better, uh, he's got a lot more introspection to himself, you know, he puts more thought into things. Like, I, you know, I, I could see you having a, a philosophical, moral conversation with Sinclair but not with Sheridan. Sheridan might just yell at you about this is the right thing to do, but like, you know, okay, get the well, hell out of my galaxy, you fuck. <laughs> I want oranges! <laughs> Give me those oranges! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want a war, you got a war. Yeah. So like, you know, he, he, maybe he's better at the speeches, but, um, so yeah, like it, as far as like, uh, and yes, the, the fact that we have a somewhat more grounded show, uh, throwing us a time travel episode uh you know it it did make it oh okay it made it special in a way because it wasn't like a reg it's not doctor who or time travels integral to every episode basically and of course i think one of your main factors for also wanting to come on to discuss babylon squared is we're zathras fans aren't we we're fans of zathras i mean let's be real let's be real that he's one of the main reasons this episode is remembered is what as well as all of this stuff about the time travel and the Babylon 4 mystery. It is, remember that really strange character that they don't explain in that episode, but he was like super well-defined performance-wise? That's 
really what I remember this episode growing up for as well is remember Zathras? What a what a weird one off character in a season, huh? That was we've never seen a performance like Zathras in Babylon Five either, and that was really exciting. And I, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, Nick, but I imagine he's also one of the motivations to come on and talk. Sure, yeah, because I mean, I, it, it's you know you you made the point in Pat's pre- uh, recent episode there about the fact that like Narun was in a left an impression despite how few episodes he's actually is in and Zathras also left an impression i'm sure i wasn't part of the, the, the message board community at the time but i'm sure a lot of the comments probably were like who is this Zathras? and he's so weird like what is his deal like he's an enigma to himself because just how he dresses how he acts and why is he there with all the stuff like we know that he's integral to the mystery that is babylon 4 um but so he just it, he puts so much mystery on it. He he is a mystery box personified uh, to to try to to try to trigger you a little bit there. Um, but I'm the, triggered. <laughs> but it, it, you know, and and I know like you know he obviously he's in this episode. He's in that other two parter, and he I think he shows up in just one more episode, just as a quick scene like he didn't even need to be in that that scene it was he's a guy necessary. he's a guy he's a gag it's a gag appearance just to just to give us the backstory that there's 12 zathruses and they all have slightly different pronunciations uh, <laughs> uh the the babylon 5 card games leaned into that and they have i want to say there's six or seven different zathrus cards all <laughs> spelt slightly differently no no <laughs> no you did not meet zathrus you made the other side of the story is Delenn traveling off of Babylon 5, going to one of their big cruises, one of their big ships, and we see her entering into the Grey Council, and we have to watch the story play out and explore what is actually happening here. Rachel, what is happening in the story? Delenn has been offered a promotion, and she turns it down. Well, what's her promotion? Her promotion is to be the leader of the Minbari, the leader of the Grey Council, because it's been 10 years officially since Ducat was killed. Mm-hmm. And he was a previous leader. Yeah. So now they're ready. They're like, we've the period of the morning is over. And we've decided. And she's just like, you've decided. What? Why? Why wasn't I here? I'm part of the council. And they're like, oh, well, given the nature of our discussions, you know that we want you to be the leader. We didn't think that you should be involved in those discussions. Uh, do you want to be the leader? How do you feel? No one's rejected it in a thousand years. A little bit of pressure on you, Delaney. We're we're telling you that you are going to be the new leader, and she's like, oh no, and it's like nobody's done that. The main thrust of the story is watching Delenn grapple and struggle with if she should abide by tradition, accept the power and lead her people, or follow the, as she says many times, the calling of her heart to follow destiny, to follow the prophecy and fate. And we see her struggling with that. We see her having conversations with other great council members. And the story uh, plays out in that fashion. It's not uh, thrilling or exciting in the way that the main story is. But this is, I think, a great example of what a good what will become a more evident uh, pattern of a Delenn story, which is it's quiet. It's a quiet story. It's not bombastic. 
Mirafalan isn't doing any big powerhouse speeches like we will see her do in the future. It is just solemn, quiet, we're in this dark room with the lights. It's just a lot of stroking of the chin and wondering, what do I, you know, Delenn, what does Delenn do? Does she reject the offer of leading her people because she believes in something higher than that? Is that a reasonable thing to do? Is it reasonable to basically throw a monkey wrench into the governing system of the Minbari people because you believe of this prophecy from a thousand years ago that may not even be true. And you're putting in a lot of... uh, uh, You're putting in a lot there. And will it be worth it? What did you think of this side of the story, Rachel? I never believed even on the first watch that she was not going to turn it down. I never thought that she was going to leave. Yeah. I was just like, how much of a shit fight is it going to cause mm. when she says that she's not going to take it? How about in retrospect, having seen the show? Because we do see Delenn uh, consume and uh, gain a lot of power as she goes along, though. So how do you feel about that aspect when you look back here? I never see her going against her heart. Yeah. And she's not pursuing power in that way. She's pursuing what she believes is her destiny and that happens to have power along the way. Because I, I I do think that she does get to that point of being a zealot about her destiny and the fate and the whole galaxy and her being at the center of it. And I, I love that episode with Naroon. Mm. She definitely brushes close to it. I want to ask you a further question, Rachel, though. You're talking about Delenn in this favorable fashion here, but in our previous discussions, you've really talked shit about her. In our episode on legacies, you weren't a fan of what a selfish person she was and how she basically jeopardized the life of so many other people for her own wants, needs, and desires. So why are you looking a little bit more favorably in this moment when it comes to her? Where it's like, she follows her heart. It's very poetic when you talk about it. Oh yeah, it works out better in the long run. Yeah? Like, (laughs) um, I don't like that she put Babylon 5 in such immediate jeopardy in Legacies. But in in the long run, it works out for her, and she's uh, like she's the victor of history, so she gets to write that, and she gets to. But uh, one of the things that I was thinking watching this episode, first thing I thought was, I almost forgot that that not that I forgot that she had that meeting, and they they gave her. They said she was going to take that position. But that it's in this episode. But that it's in this episode because I think so much about that one for plot. I did the same thing. But it's, I do kind of think like if she had taken the job, would it have been so bad? Because I go, you know, we know what happens with like the division within the Minbari society. Um, the warrior caste, especially with the, uh, the civil war, with the, the religious caste, and and, and the, the turmoil that that happened, um, you know, if she was the leader, 
obviously she's not the sole leader. She is still the great council, but she has a, a much stronger position. She knows that the shadows are coming. She knows she saw Morden with a little triangle on her head. You know, she knows that they're coming. And certainly the reluctance to accept that the shadows are coming uh, could be quelled if she was the leader. And you could have had potentially a much more uh, direct support of the Minbari. Uh, the impression I always got was that later on in the Shadow War, that, again, everyone who's listening has watched the show, um, but uh, that it was the religious and the worker castes uh, that were supporting the fight in the Shadow War and that the, 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 the warrior caste essentially had stepped out of it and kind of were and that's also part of the reason why they kind of came in strong for the civil war so Mm -hmm. could it had could there have been potential benefits if she had just you know taken the job even if it's not following her heart as it were uh in that it might have actually brought better support in that conflict Hmm. that's interesting i think i also just think from a personal perspective of like i would hate that fucking job what, being in charge of the Grey Council? Being in charge of the Grey Council. And when, like, I take it very literally when she's just like, I would never leave there. Yeah. But what I take this story to be is to show us how supremely important Delenn actually is. Because she's an ambassador, we know that she's a satai, but now we understand that she is super important and super well regarded in her people's. Uh, viewpoints to the to the degree in which they're going to uh, push her up the ranks of being the leader, and that further makes the mystery of why is she an ambassador then? Why is she running around playing ambassador? Why is she doing that if she could be the head honcho now? And it furthers that allure of her character, but her being offered this position, it does just let us know that she is a really, really revered and well-respected figure. And the simple thing of it showing uh, a side of her that is a bit warmer, uh, of she's willing to push aside power and relinquish power to follow the calling of her heart. And although at this point in the show, we don't fully know what that calling is. We don't know what the prophecy is necessarily. Uh, we know that Delenn is on the, on the side of good in this moment, just because of how Mira Falan plays her. She's not playing her as she has for most of season one, in which she's kind of mischievous. Shady Delenn is, she's not, being is shady. not here. She's being uh, raw and emotional, and I really liked her performance in this episode. I think this is an episode that is really held up by some amazing performances, and I thought that the other great council member, the, the, the head guy, I guess, the one with the staff that gives her the child luminary at the end, I thought his performance was really good as well, and I went to look him up on IMDb, and uh, I couldn't find him credited in this episode for some reason. So that's a mystery for the ages. I thought this B-plot, the secondary plot, it does suffer from just being a story that is in an episode and doesn't really have any thematic 
and or narrative links to the main plot. It just exists here because we need it to be in the show at some point. Yeah. We need this to be here. We need her to get the device. We need to show this side of Delenn's character. We need to open up the avenue of understanding of the Minbari culture a bit more. It is a need rather it is like it's a thing that's needed but it isn't contributing to the episode as a whole in the way that it could it needs more tissue Mm. between the two stories i do wonder if that's exacerbated by the production changes and the swap around of the order of the episodes i don't think so just because watching it here in this episode this is where it's been placed this plot but you really could remove this plot and put it in another episode. Yeah, like I wonder if it was always going to be here or if it was going to be somewhere else and then they've just swapped and changed it around. I think this is also, we've talked about it, you always make jokes that I prefer episodes with just one plot in them, but I do think this is a sign, a byproduct of... An episode written in the age of television in which you usually had an A and B plot. This episode could have just been the Babylon 4 story, the whole episode. There's so much material that you could easily put into 45 minutes. But uh, let's cut over to Delenn. And we forget that it's here. Nick forgets it's here. You forget it's here. And every time you cut to the Minbari thing, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's happening. It's not as if it's terrible. Like I said, the acting's good and what it's trying to say is all right, but it isn't... You're not thrilled when you cut away to this side of the the episode. You want it to cut back to B4. You want to go back to B4. You want to see Zathras. You want to see the major guy. You want to see Babylon 4. You want to see all of the stuff. You want to know what's going on because it is such an alluring hook that when you keep coming back to... Delenn, and you just know what the outcome is from the drop, as you say, it makes it a lackluster story. This does feel as if it is a footnote to include, but it doesn't feel as substantive as uh, I think it I, that it thinks it is. You could salvage it if you took the uh, Susan's uncle visiting story, mm. combine it with this one, and just for, and then you just have a quick throwaway line where Garibaldi sees a friend in the bar. He says, "Watch your back," and then that's all you needed from TKO for for Garibaldi's plot. And then you could just put those two together. But still call you the know. episode TKO. Still call it that though. <laughs> well, what would it stand for? TKO could stand for something else, right? No, uh... no, 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 no. You keep that in because <laughs> in every plot somebody gets TKO just randomly. That's how you keep that thread in. Like Delenn gets knocked in the head with the big staff, and she gets TKO'd, and then. <laughs> <laughs> is this the first time we get a verbal confirmation of Valen? Because I feel like in other episodes we've heard about a guy from the past who did this stuff, but I don't remember if we've actually heard Valen be said until this episode. But I did note that we heard it in this episode. It's like, ah, we're actually talking about Valen in the episode in which Babylon 4 and they talk about the one. And it's like, ah, oh, this... This adds to that satisfaction of the payoff of Valen even further, because you come back to Babylon Squared, and they do mention Valen a lot in this episode. I can't remember if this is the first time, but it's definitely one of the more notable times it's been mentioned in Season 1, at least. I feel like if it was mentioned before, it was just at some point of Delenn saying in Valen's name. 
Yeah, like, just I, I definitely feel like Valen's been the name has been uttered, but I don't. But think... not the connection to the Great yeah. Council or legacy of it. Yeah. And how big of a figure he is. This council stopped the war against the humans because of prophecy. Because Valen said that the humans, and some among them, had a destiny which we could not interfere with. I really like that this episode wasn't afraid to have a little bit of fun and a little bit of levity because it is such a big, dramatic, and serious episode that you could have gotten lost in how po-faced and serious it is. But they aren't afraid to have Garibaldi doing some pranks at the beginning, and I love that Sinclair gets involved in the prank. That's the thing that this episode really won me over, because Sinclair was fun in the pilot movie. Like, he was a bit of a joker, he was a bit of a lad, and they've kind of lost that thread over the season, but now they're bringing it back again, and I'm glad that they did. It was just fun also that they utilized Michael O'Hare's smooth, rich booming voice I for want comedic full, payoff. I want a full guided meditation. Oh. I would love it. I would kill to have a Michael O'Hare read me to, like, read a book to me to go to sleep deal. I would narrates, love it. Narrates a, a, a children's bedtime book or something. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, the Jeff Bridges sleep tape. Yeah. Oh, a Michael O'Hare sleep tape would be the best thing Ever. He had such an amazing voice. Um, What did you think of uh, this stuff, Rachel? I loved it. Like, it's like, yeah, he is a massive fucking dork. Yeah, Garibaldi. Garibaldi's a massive dork. And it, it's just fun. Because it's like, it's a cute little moment. It, it kind of... It does help set up the episode as well, mm. but it also reminds you that these people work together, but they have crossed over into being friends as well. Mm-hmm. And it reminds you of Garibaldi and Sinclair's, it reinforces their friendship because that's actually a pivotal part of the episode is their connection, their bond. I got really uh, emotionally pulled in when, when Sinclair later in the episode touches the one and he gets launched across the room Garibaldi immediately just runs to him and he's like all about Sinclair and he doesn't really care about what else is going on in the situation he doesn't really care about this blue suited thing or Zathras or any of the B4 people no, he's like my friend needs to be okay hey Jeff are you okay bro you you need a hand up there buddy and I I like that I thought that was very well done and uh yeah Nick you want to talk about any of that fun Garibaldi uh, Sinclair pranking bro attitude? <laughs> uh, there's a couple of thoughts. One was like, okay, you know, it's the middle of the night. They had some sort of problem and they called Susan on. But it seems like, so if, if she's not on shift, uh, if the, you know, the commander's not on shift, so they call her. You know, there was the, the, the reference to a potential other major uh, you know, posted there that was just mm-hmm. mentioned once and then never again. It was a John Tatillo introduced character that JMS just didn't agree with. Why is he a major? Uh, I actually did after that episode. I did look it up. Like, how does that? How did the? Actually, I don't, I don't know if it was between that episode or the. Um, I think it was the the, the major Kimmer, the, the the girl that has a, a grudge against uh, 
Garibaldi. You know, like wh- what does how do the ranks match up? And I think you know, going from if you're going from the army, a major is more akin to uh, a commander. Yeah. Uh, so it's like the idea that there would be a major on the station. Um, although why Lockley went from captain to colonel, but she seems to be navy colored. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so <laughs> really putting everything on Susan's shoulders, it's not fair. Uh, Garibaldi and, and Sinclair just had a casual lunch and her breakfast, not doing anything else. They're more people. Also, yeah, but but also the question is, you know, he's like, oh, I'll notify the next of your next of kin, and then she's like, Garibaldi, you're a dead man. But like, why just Garibaldi? Sinclair was in on it too. I mean, I said the exact <laughs> well, same thing. Well, well, and is... what was your response, Ryan? Well, what was your it's... explanation? Well, it's she knew he office. was behind it. It's, yeah, oh, and okay. it's obvious it was Garibaldi because <laughs> he's always Garibaldi. doing this shit, like like the being in the tube all the time. Asking Garibaldi people to would enjoy... have been the mastermind. He would have been the master. He... I feel like it's that thing of. Garibaldi, you had like you did this, and you drag Sinclair into it. Like Sinclair's like the the trouble, like the good best, the good friend who gets dragged into naughty situations by the bad guy. Like by by Garibaldi, he's like, oh, you twisted my arm. <laughs> Susan is like Garibaldi. I'm getting sick of your Looney Tune shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your Looney Tune <laughs> bullshit. Oh, Garibaldi, you're a dead man. Babylon Four reappears. It comes back. And I really like how the episode builds upon that event, where you have the pilot at the beginning who sees it in the very cheesy, very cheesy line delivery of, it just can't be, it just can't be, and then he gets blasted with a big spotlight. And there is a fair amount of cheese and camp in this episode. Yeah, and I think the episode knowingly leans into the overarching cheesy, campy nature of the performances. Because I think if you had everyone playing it as straight as normal, and then you had Zathras, I think Zathras would be too much, and you kept Zathras as he is, he would be too much of an overload of like, what the fuck? But with the building of the tension of the episode, Babylon 4 appearing, the pilot dying, scratching in B4, and I love that they skip over narratively the boringest part of narratives where the characters stroke their chins and go, B4? What does he mean, B4? Like, What's he talking about? What was before? And it's I like that they just go over it and just go, no, no, he was in the same sector where Babylon 4 disappeared. It means Babylon 4. I like that the episode doesn't fucking waste time on that bullshit like so many other TV shows do. They're like, no, 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 guys, the episode's called Babylon Squared. It's about Babylon 4. We're not going to uh, pussyfoot around. We're just going to get to the Babylon 4 thing. But as we build to it, we have all of these little moments, like when Babylon 4 phones in, they have to check the code. They check his... I like that the outfits are different for the Babylon 4 crew, like they're a bit older, they have a little bit of a different look to them. I like that uh, Sinclair has to withhold the information about being from Babylon 5 so he doesn't freak them out straight away. I like the uh, <laughs> when they're on the phone call to the guy, on the vid call to the guy, how it's all uh, staticky and breaking up, and then you get the, oh god, it's happening again! And they're like, what the fuck does that mean? This episode has fun, fun, fun times, but it does build up that genuine amount of tension and suspense of 
a big ass space station has just plonked back into existence and now we have to scramble over there to save all of these people and hopefully figure out why it disappeared in the first place it it just it sets it all up it moves nice and quickly all of the flashbacks and flash forwards work pretty well for me the part that does not work for me is the random guy that apparently has gone crazy and starts shooting at Sinclair and Garibaldi. That dude was totally... He, he must have been crazy before, and this just, just, you know, put him over... You know, gave him an excuse, because I didn't see anybody else shooting up the place. No, I was like... Or was he you, time jumping too? Are you Jinxo's <laughs> brother? What order. is this? Oh, if he was Jinxo's brother, that would have been... It's a whole station... It's, let's be honest, it's a whole station of Jinxos. Like, oh. <laughs> the, the skeleton crew, the, the inept security guards, <laughs> they just don't know how to do anything, these guys. And I, I, I made a mention, and I made mention to the, again, the, the Babylon 5 card game, the, you know, the, the major character, he, he does have a card, but it's like, almost like he's just barely anything. Like, <laughs> I think the guys who were making the, the card game just knew, like, he's a major, but we don't know how he got to that rank because he just kind of sucks. <laughs> I mean, he had a tough job. He had to open up the station, and as soon as he did, it disappeared through time. And then all of this time that he's been away, he's been getting flashes of the past, the present, and the future in his brain. It would drive me a little cuckoo bananas as well. And then you come back, and you're like, wait, what timeline are we in? We've been gone? Oh, God. He walks that line of hysteria very well. He said, I don't mind that guy's performance, but I agree with you, Rachel. The random shootout uh, is so forced, and it doesn't... It's like, we need an action thing. I would have just simply liked that they got onto Babylon 4, they see it's kind of eerie and creepy, and then they meet the Major, and he talks to them, explains stuff to them, and then they meet Zathras. The shootout, it makes it feel as if people have gone renegade or rogue, or there's, like, crazy people on this, and it's, like, not the case at all. And when we get to the Babylon, uh, the further Babylon... Four episodes, this moment here just stands out even more as a weird, bizarre thing that's just there to have some action and something there. The level of tension and kind of, I don't know, action-y vibes when everybody's trying to clamor through the gates, Mm. that feels much better. Yeah, it makes sense. It's appropriate. People are freaking the fuck out and they just want to get off the ship, but this guy... He's, like, shooting at people who have just come on. Why would you do that? Like, that makes no sense. You're like, like I want to get out of here. It's like, well, you're shooting at people see? who... Like, you're shooting at people that's just come on the station. Like, these people just came on. You're shooting at them? You want to get off? You're an idiot. Like, if he tried to, like, run at them to get their ship, that would at least make some more sense. I know this isn't a highbrow critique to make, but this is... A, a thing that happens in all of these old shows like Star Trek or, or or so on and so forth. This is just a dumb moment. It's just a dumb moment. There's nothing really more to say about it in depth other than this random shootout and this guy being crazy is just there because... Yeah, it's very generic stuff. I, I, I say, the, the flashing and making the person go crazy and, and try to kill somebody else. I was like, this is not event horizon 
That's uh, you know, this is about month. Yeah, this doesn't have a uh, Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't have like a Cthulhu. Oh, I've seen everything, and I'm crazy because I've seen unfathomable horrors that are just too hard to describe, and my mind is unraveling. No, what his time, his time jump was to whenever he lives on Babylon 5 and he, he, he encounters the third space aliens. Yeah, that's That it. was his jump. That's there it. That's his jump. And then maybe... That's it's... for you, Pat. That's for you, Pat, because he loves that movie. We all love third space and those, those third space aliens. And you know what? Can we all just give it up for third space, Rachel? Third space? Rachel, you're not clapping. I'm doing, oh, I'm... I'm clapping in third space. I'm doing the finger snap poetry clap. <laughs> Rachel's clapping in third space. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> Let's talk about those flash forwards and flash backs in time. I want to talk about the Garibaldi one first because Rachel... The... I was born for this. No. Or, or no. the least G- one. Garibaldi's. That's Sinclair's flash forward that has Garibaldi. I want to talk about the least... You know what? Can we give it up for Lise, everyone? <laughs> everyone, Lise is here. We love Lise. What a great character she is. I'm glad they brought her back. What a piff. Oh, you know, you know, great character. Love Lise. We all love Lise. I want to talk what about this. What room were they in? They were in Lise's room. You know what? Can we give it up for Lise's room? <laughs> love Lise's room. She knows how to it's decorate. A great room. She's a great decorator. She's a great person. She's a Martian. We love Lise. We love Lise. She's a Marcy. Actually, I, I'm going to quickly comment before I forget Go that on. I think JMS did say that that room that they were in, the actual set, is the same one as the Minbari Great Council Fleet hallway. And it's just dressed slightly differently. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay, is that know. what Mars looks like? They just like? said, oh, we'll just make a room. It looks oh, pretty. It's like purpley and pink. And I yeah. guess that's... It looks like, it looks like some sort of like uh, uh, a ballroom. Yeah, and I'm like, why are they having this conversation here? I don't know, but I just want to say that we talked in a previous episode about Love Lord Garibaldi and his relationship with Lise, and how previously, when he discussed it, it was different to what we see here in ever so ever so slightly, and I want to kind of further de- dive dive into that because I like that we get to see this moment from Garibaldi. It's a very humanizing moment. It's also kind of surreal because you can't... It's one of those ones where it rides a line of, is this modern-day Garibaldi reliving this experience and he's, like, confused and he's like, what's going on? Or is this one of those moments in which this is how it kind of played out and we are getting a recontextualization of this is because... he revisiting or was he there? Yeah, is it that type of thing? Because it's also recontextualizing what our understanding of the breakup was because Garibaldi described it in a different manner. He described it in a far more woe is me description of the events, but here we're seeing it and you understand why Lise left him and why Lise, you know, made the choices she makes because Garibaldi's just up and leaving because he had a bad time on Mars and he's just going to leave her behind as well. She's part of those years. She's refusing to go. And she is refusing to go and she's, he's just going to up and leave because he's known the Sinclair guy. Like he's met him twice and now he's going to upheave his whole entire life just to hang out with Sinclair. A man he doesn't know, but he's not willing to do the same for her. Somebody that 
he's known for so many years now, and he's not willing to stay with her. And uh, although I make fun about Lise, I don't really like Lise as a character, I like this flashback. I think it is a great foundation for this relationship. It's a great choice of a flashback. Like, it, it matters that we see this. And it's not like every flashback has to be some sort of pivotal war moment or something. Yeah. It can be just like, oh, just a lost opportunity about, you know, some sort of decision you regret in a relationship, you know. It, that's something a little bit more personal. So it, it was good that they were not all just, it's not like we just saw Garibaldi from the same conflict, you know, different than Sinclair's. Yeah, or flash forward and Garibaldi has an eye patch now and he's just like, oh, my buddy Sinclair is dead. Oh, like they don't, use these flash-forwards and flashback things as just further mysteries to set up. Just imagine if he got flash-forwarded and it's that part where he's got the cellophane wrap on him, <laughs> like he's been captured, Yeah, and he's just there, and he's like, what is going on? What is going on? <laughs> it's not It's not as if it's a flash-forward to him in a med bay pleading with a bunch of terrorists to do the right thing, and then a hand has a gun point at his head, and then it fires and it abruptly cuts off. It's not like it did that at all. It's not like they did that at all. Isn't that, isn't that right, Deconstruction of Falling Stars? Isn't that right? Oh, whoa. Wait, look, we can... Comments. Well, I don't know what more needs to be said. This picture speak for themselves. Sheridan was clearly pathological. Also found that the flash forward is something that we need to talk about as well, because this is one of those bizarre remnants of if the show continued along the original track and it had Sinclair... This most likely would have been an event that played out, or is this just what it did become, which is a variant timeline of if Sinclair stayed and they didn't take Babylon 4 back in time and all of that stuff? Because the flash forward, Rachel, how would you describe it? Chaotic. <laughs> um, uh, Garibaldi and Sinclair are in their combat gear and... Uh, everything is going wrong and falling apart around them and people are, like, running everywhere and Garibaldi is like, I'm going to stay and fight and he has, like, a flamethrower or something. A machine gun of some sort. Um, And Sinclair gets swept up in the crowd that's running. Yeah. He gets pushed away. They've... uh... They've uh, charged up the fusion fusion reactors to go off. We're to understand that this is on Babylon 5 itself. That's how I always understood this event. Like, this is Babylon 5 in the future. The shadows are breaking through the door. Garibaldi's like, I found my place in life. This is where I need to be. I'm going to die. Yay. And he's shooting like a madman and saying all these crazy lines of dialogue that I believe Jerry Doyle improvised doing uh, from my understanding of how things went. And it kind of shows. He, t- he took it from his original audition for Die Hard that he lost to Bruce Willis. But if you think about it, like did all those people rushing around, like whatever the context is, Garibaldi is crazy enough to say, a quarter of a million civilians? Ah, let's just blow them all up with the station. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> don't give him a chance to try to escape. Just, just go ahead and blow up the station. Well, it must be that bad at that point, at least. Well, I, I guess we have to wonder what's the context of if they're boarding. What, is it that they're going to be slaughtered anyways? Like, because the way that I always took it is that yeah, the the eventual thing we got was oh, it's an alternate one where Balan Four doesn't go back, and you know the the, the shadows are presumably attacking the station. You know, we saw uh, Susan. Mm, uh, die. clip of that and the uh, dying in the station blowing up uh, in the late episode. Uh, the other side of it being like the supposed Babylon Prime other idea that apparently Jim has had, which was that Babylon 5 story would conclude and uh, the the resulting win would still label uh, Sinclair and gang as uh, outlaws and the Babylon 5 gets destroyed and that's when they go and steal Babylon 4 and because it has its own engines I guess it's off doing its own adventures as it were so it would be it could have been a combination of Earth Force and other other factions trying to board the station which wouldn't certainly wouldn't just want to kill everybody they would just want to take the station back but <laughs> careful he's going to blow it up so yeah, Garibaldi has no qualms with murdering civilians. What? He's he's a bad cop. Yeah, he's like, no. Disturbing he just wants to he's hurt all the homeless people. He's a good detective. He's a good, <laughs> he's a good detective. I think he thought he could figure out crimes and stuff, maybe. But like, give him some like position of of, of power. I, I I don't know. I mean, I guess he got lucky and failed up into CEO of a megacorp, but. Uh, no, <laughs> he really earned it. God. Yeah, failed fa- up is really a good way to describe what happens to him. With the flash forward, obviously one of the things to talk about is the show, because of one of the main cast members leaving and all these other factors, this flash forward does not happen. But as we have said, it does explain it later on and they go into details. So it doesn't make this... Uh, moment in the episode feel as if this is a dropped storyline or a completely undone thread we know it is in a way like if Sinclair stayed this moment most likely would have happened and we would have seen it even though it would have been weird because Jerry Doyle still would have been bold at this point you know like it's one of those things but yeah you you forgive that but uh, uh yeah you watch this scene and it does also make you just think as a person who knows the behind the scenes what that original version of Babylon 5 would have been like without all of these cast members dropping out and all of this turbulence behind the scenes and how different it would have been. Because, as we've said, a part of the enjoyment factor of Babylon Squared is knowing where the two-parter goes with it and what a great conclusion it is uh, for the Babylon 4 story and for Sinclair, and it is when you see this flash forward, you're just reminded that's right, that there was another version of this story that was going to go elsewhere but that's not where we went we went some, we went with where we went and it's still satisfying and so, seeing the flash forward here, it doesn't just feel like it is a thing that is happening and you just watch it going, ah, oh, that never paid off. We move on we get to meet Zathras I love that they just... Oh, and this other weird thing happened. This thing. Look at Zathras. Appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, so, Rachel, this is the big exposition dump uh, scene, but (laughs) unlike other pieces of exposition dump, 
it doesn't really feel like one because we don't understand any of the fucking things he's talking about when we first so then meet him. Sinclair translates as best as he can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go over meeting Zathras. He's speaking in third person a lot. But what's the general gist of the scene with Zathras? They are stealing Babylon 4 to take it to another time where a great war is happening. It's needed as a base of operations. Yeah. So what do you think about that? How you thought about the first time... And how you think about it now, knowing where it goes. I was like, why, though? Like, why is this in Babylon 5? Because time travel is tricky and it hasn't been a part of Babylon 5 up until this point. And it's like, well, why is this even possible? It feels really odd. So you were more thrown off by the time travel aspect yeah. rather than the great war and we're needing to I steal it. Just, I was just like, oh yeah, of course like there's wars happening because this is not a perfect u- universe. This is not a utopian galaxy. So of course there's going to be war. But I think I originally thought that it was going to be sometime in the future. Yeah, that's what you led to believe. You're led to believe that it's being taken. I don't know why I never, I don't know why I never thought that. Like they say the line in the later episode of like we always assume it was sometime in the future. We never considered it was going into the past. But like even whenever I first watched it, I was going, I don't know. I didn't really know if it was future or 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 past. But do you guys both think that when you first watched it, you both thought it was going to the future? Yeah, because I thought Zathras was from the future in which things have gone bad. They need to go back in time to steal a thing that they um, saw. The, I think the I, future I, evolution of man before <laughs> becomes something more. I just saw old Sinclair and I was like, yeah. oh, that's in the future because Sinclair's in the Sinclair <laughs> is a big thing. Old Sinclair, that's another big factor to it. But me as well, not thinking in all of the dimensions with time, I was thinking from a narrative we're going to get up to the events in the show in which they have to go back in time and steal Babylon 4. And that's what I thought. Like, and I thought we're going to get up to that point. Of... They have to go back in time to steal Babylon 4 to win the narr- the ongoing narrative of yeah. the show. So, yeah, but I thought it was going to be in the future. We catch up to the future where they are going back to steal but then Babylon they're going 4, to go but back, they're going back further. Then they're going to go take it back further. I guess the idea was always that he would get aged up because of the the, the temporal distortion yeah. effect. So it was never that he was going to be really 20 years later, 30 years later then going back. And I think part of that was, if I remember correctly, the Babylon Prime stuff was that, you know, her and Delenn having a son together named David, he would get rapidly aged up as well. So he would go from, you know, like baby age to like teenager within that episode or something. Something along those lines. Which is like much more like <laughs> V from the 80s. Tonight is your chance to see how it all began. To relive the excitement that is V, the most extraordinary miniseries ever. This episode's crazy. It's introducing thing upon thing upon thing upon thing. The momentum, the pacing of the episode is absolutely bananas. How come it still works? It has a logic and you can follow the thread. Even though all of this crazy shit is happening, 
It's very simple. They're going to B4. They're trying to evacuate B4. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. I was actually going to ask you, like, well, what's the what's the logic, Rachel? What's the thread? And that is it. Like, on the basic level, it's a rescue mission episode. And all of these, here's Zathras, here's the one, here's this. Those are flourishes. Those are nuances added on top of a reliable narrative structure. We understand, as an audience, this type of narrative. And you add all of these things on top of it, and it doesn't break it, because the foundation of a Flying Dutchman ship has reappeared, we're going to use this brief window to get everybody off of it, and maybe get some answers. Yeah. It is reliable, it's strong, it's like, it, it doesn't, works. It doesn't matter if you don't understand all of this other stuff, because you understand their primary motivation. One of the things I like about the pacing and the chaos of the episode is it doesn't give you enough time to breathe and think about certain things, but it's making you think about it as well because you're getting all of this crazy new information. So, for example, when I watched this episode back in the day, I never even had time to think who was in the blue suit. So when they revealed it was old Sinclair, I was genuinely taken aback because I just had no time to breathe to even consider who was in the suit if it was anyone we actually knew. I didn't even have time because I'm being introduced to Zathras, Babylon 4's back, The One, all of this information is being put upon me and the chaotic nature of it all, there's there's so much happening that a moment like that within just this singular episode in which it's just adding another mystery, another reveal of information, I didn't have the process of my my brain just could not uh, hack it when I first saw it to even consider, oh, that, mu- that must be one of our characters in the blue suit when it was just, it's Sinclair. I was like, oh, of course. Yeah, I always assumed there was Sinclair. Sinclair in the suit because we see him in the old old age suit and stuff like that. But then in the later episodes, I think is it not Sheridan, right? Delenn, well, it was Sheridan, and then Delenn's the one who saves Zathras. Is she? But because I was trying to remember, there was was a a double switch, I think, in those episodes, and I'm trying to remember who was in the suit when touched hands with Sinclair and they repel each other essentially. Because I always assumed, oh, that repulsion was because it was himself. Do you know what I mean? That was my head cannon so for this. It was probably originally meant to be it was, Sinclair. It was originally meant to be Sinclair, obviously, and it's him touching himself. And it was probably the same. What Sheridan went through in the double parter was probably what Sinclair was supposed to be going through when they were stealing Babylon 4. That's my baseline of trying to figure out, like, there is a prime Babylon thing, and I can't be bothered to crack that nut open. <laughs> There's just too much. Maybe the reboot can show us what that's supposed to be. But I uh, love the chaotic nature of it. Because, yeah, when it is revealed that it's older Sinclair at the end, it's obvious. It's one of those, of course it is. Who else would it be? But because of how much stuff is being thrown at me in the episode... I never had time to even think about it. When it does reveal it at the end that first time, I was like, oh, of course. How stupid I didn't figure this out because I didn't even try to figure it out. Uh, Nick, when it comes to all of this stuff, I mean, we love uh, this episode, but like, it is pretty full on with like just throwing stuff after stuff after stuff after stuff at you. How come this works for you? And how come it evidently has been one that has always worked for you? Yeah, because it's a good question, because you're like, normally, you'd think that a show that just introduces 
so many questions without answers would be one that people don't like. And I guess I'm not sure if it's just that it worked well for me because I was like, oh, that just was intriguing, you know, and maybe I had not been burned out by the mystery box storytelling, right? Like, you know, I remember specifically liking Lost when it first started and it was so much of like, oh, hinting at a mystery of the future, hinting at a mystery of the future. But it, it, you can only do that every now and then. If you do that every episode, like I, <laughs> I, I angrily quit Lost yeah. at one point because it was just Same. that all the time. Same. And if it was, I eventually came back, but more near to the end when I knew, okay, there's at least going to be an, an ending I can just watch through it. But you know, if this much of a mystery building was in every single episode, I would really, yeah dislike that storytelling but because it was just that one episode the fact that it's also another babylon station was just kind of a neat idea of like there's a whole other station i know you guys did your thoughts on yesterday's enterprise and it's like another enterprise but it's a different one. Oh, is that's interesting because it's just because it's another enterprise uh now oh now it's the other babylon station actually <laughs> you mentioned before about babylon 4 babylon 4 disappearing being a throwaway line that you're just like oh that's interesting why did you throw that in and i had previously like well, i guess this was a year and a bit ago started to rewatch babylon 5 and i wanted to see if my kids would like it and it's mentioned very early on in like one of the first episode oh babylon 1 2 3 destroyed and babylon 4 disappeared and no one knows what happened to it and I actually paused the episode that's my kids uh at the time they were six and nine and i said what do you guys think what do you think Babylon happened to babylon 4 one said well, maybe it's still there, but they can't see it. And then the other one, he was six at the time, goes, maybe it's in a different time. Mm. I'm like, ah, oh, these little, you little nerd kids. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it was, it, it, it's just, yeah, it's always interesting of that other, it's a kind of a what if, because it's another Babylon station. Yeah, you've, you've touched upon something I think is very good, which is, in modern television, with shows like Lost, with the mystery box format, I'm not a fan of it in general because it's been misused in a lot of ways because what this episode is, what signs and portents is, what chrysalis is, what uh, what a lot of these, we're pushing the big mysteries forward or adding more to them, they're event episodes. Mm-hmm. While with modern TV, every episode is an event episode. And that doesn't mean... Uh, I'm begging that Star Trek Discovery needs to have the one-and-done Death Walker episodes. No, but, like, every single episode is an event episode. So if this show was every single episode was Babylon 4, Babylon Squared, it would be tiring, and I would get frustrated with it too. It is a frustration with modern television, and the classic age-old thing. We like this because back in the day, at least for myself, before I was tainted with mystery box shows not actually answering the fucking questions that they're setting up and the mysteries that they're putting forth, when I watched this in its on that DVD nearly 20 years ago now, I just said, oh, they're going to answer this. They have to. And that mentality of belief that they're going to answer this made the enjoyment exist because they have to answer this. Now when I watch a lot of modern shows like Star Trek Discovery, I don't have that belief system anymore because I've seen so many of them just not do it. And they're not even examples of ones that got cancelled so they couldn't do it. 
Because back in the 90s, there were shows I love like Space Above and Beyond. Breaks my heart that we never got to see the conclusion of that show. But I don't hold that against that first season. The first season was trying to do something. Same with some... But like... I like X-Files. X-Files annoys the shit out of me because there comes a point where they're like, ah, answering shit. Eh, let's just keep going with super soldiers. I'm like, shut up. I don't want to hear about super soldiers. I don't want to hear none of that shit. <laughs> what do you think about that, 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 that whole issue, Rachel, about event TV, event episodes, and actually being able to believe that they'll yeah. answer this? Like... I've mentioned it a ton of times that I, I, I trust JMS as the creative director and the showrunner of Babylon 5. And it's interesting that he managed to set that up in the show itself because I came to it after I'd already been jaded mm-hmm. and didn't trust many shows to reach their potential or to follow through on ideas but for some reason like especially because you gave me that information as well of like you can trust this yeah yeah you made me doubt it sometimes deliberately because it was amusing (laughs) to you but overall did you you like did you sorry Rachel did you you maybe said did you watch this one with Ryan or by yourself at this point I was watching with Ryan yeah yeah Okay, so you were doing Ryan. You were doing your usual. Oh, what's that mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Rachel's like, "What's a Zathras?" And I'm like, "Indeed." Mm. I asked if Zathras <laughs> comes back, and you were Shrugged. like, "No, no, that was one that you actually answered because you were like, yeah, but, but, but not in the way that you think." <laughs> because you were referring to the other Zathras that we meet on the planet. <laughs> Not the best you could get is like, uh, yes, technically. I think, yeah. I think I did. I think I did this, which is, oh, we meet us Zathras. Yes, again. and I was like, what do you mean, oh. Zathras, the species? And you're like, I don't know. No, that's his name. That's his name, Zathras. I think I said also at some point when you asked when uh, when Dral says Zathras, 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 you're like, is he talking about Zathras? And I said, no, no, he's talking about Zathras. Yeah. <laughs> to be a joke. I love being a joke. But you brought up on something I'm curious of, Rachel. You came in in this modern age of being jaded because of being let down by yeah. so many shows. We're like in our adolescence we grew up with lost and heroes as the one-two punch of fucking the audience over for being invested in its and mysteries and development two shows that i did not watch but that was the age <laughs> that we grew up in of those like yeah. those type of juggernaut no, the- event shows that did not fulfill the promise of their setup and i do wonder for doctor new- who was the uh, show that did it for me eventually doctor who paid off in its tenant era at least but but like I'm curious for newcomers of Babylon 5. I would love to hear from people Mm -hmm. who have just finished Babylon 5 for the first time. How long did they have to get over that barrier that you're speaking about of being Mm -hmm. this jaded? They're not actually going to follow through because not everyone has me there to go, don't worry. Mm Mm-hmm. They will answer things. They, this show does the things that you w- expect most shows to fucking do. I wonder how many people turn to the wiki. Or just 
gave up because oh, they're just throwing so many things in there. And they're not actually gonna, yeah. they're not actually going to do this. Also, you touched upon something I think is important of uh, living up to the potential of these things because yeah. we know Star Trek Discovery will answer their fucking big mystery of the season, but we, we know it's going to be stupid. We will find out who the Red Angel is. <laughs> we know it's going to be stupid. That's the difference. Like with the B- Babylon Squared, I never thought, oh, they're going to answer this in a stupid manner. I was more, ooh. They're really challenging themselves what to answer this gonna at all. What are they going to do with this? Yeah. They have come up with this idea. They're going to do something with it. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to actually do something, which far out. Don't you miss that in your modern sci-fi TV where they actually do something with their narratives and their mysteries and their stories? Oh, brother, I miss it so much. You have a destiny. Please, go for Zathras. We haven't really talked about Zathras because we are leaving all the Zathras talk for the actors' spotlight. Spotlight, the part of the show in which we discuss an actor that appeared in an episode, talk about their performance in this episode, talk about the character they played, talk about their background as an actor, whether we've seen them in anything else before, any interesting pieces of information or trivia. Mm -hmm. And who are we delving into? Tim Choate. 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 Who played? Zathras. Tell us about what you thought about Zathras in this episode. And, uh, I mean... What was it like that first time? Because for me, I was I loved it. I was like, I love yeah. this performance. I that's what drew me in. I, I love like, the performance. I'm an actor and I love acting and I love going his acting. for it. I I was like, I don't know what it is, but he clearly does. And somebody trusted him enough to <laughs> let him do this. So you didn't find him annoying in a way that was um, negative. At a point during. The info dump. I did. I was like, "Why does he keep on clicking?" You don't like the clicking. I just got tired of the clicking. Is like weird sort of punctuation. I'm like, what? what what's going on? I always on? took it as him like, um, like a, how a cat purrs when it's happy. <laughs> like he's doing it because he's, <laughs> he's like, I'm doing a good job. <laughs> he reminds me of marsupials. Mm. How they do those type of noises and yeah. animals we have in Australia aren't aren't, aren't the Narns desc- aren't the Narns described as they are yeah. but he doesn't the Jakar doesn't make these type of little marsupial no, noises he, that Zathras he, makes he has like a pouch Zathras is like a little burrowing creature he also he reminds, reminds me, me of, a, of a Bilby he, I was gonna say a Bandicoot mm. uh, he doesn't have that hysterical weird laughing that Bandicoots no. have but like he has those little clicking noises that they like to do as well yeah let's just keep listing Australian animals that this reminds <laughs> me of and then Pat can just say a uh, moose that's like a Canada animal that they have I don't know what other animals you have? We do have we do have moose <laughs> in Canada. It's true. That's it. So <laughs> Zathras is moose. I loved the Zathras performance. I did not find it annoying because I'm drawn to hyper specific annoying characters. <laughs> yeah, you are. Like like they have that's to be. You. 
They, you identify with it that. Has, it's the performance. <laughs> it's the performance because I've seen many on purposely weirdo, annoying, cryptic characters like Zathras, and they annoy the shit out of me because the performance just doesn't rise to the level that something like this does. He is making so many choices as a performer here that I just respected when I was a young person and I respect as an adult. Nick, Zathras... What was your reaction that first time to just this crazy guy, this performance? And uh, what do you think about uh, uh, Zathras in general? Yeah, what I was saying before, that he himself was was the mystery box personified because he was just such a weird character. And he did, yeah, he did a great job of just like giving us something alien because he's just so weird uh, and, you know, so out of place. Like we're, we're used to... The aliens we see, oh, they're working in the market, or they're an ambassador, or whatever. You know, mm. like Kosh is probably the weirdest one, but you know, the, the, for a large part, they kind of still kind of act like humans. But he was the one who's just kind of weird. Like he was, if he was going to act human, he was going to act like a weird human, you know, <laughs> uh, with an, uh, an eccentric kind of crazy inventor. You know, when we see his technology abilities later in other episodes. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I challenge anybody to say that they can recognize his acting in a different role because of how much he, you know, all his choice, like you said, all his choices, he just he disappears. As well as the it. makeup, as well, he escapes into that makeup because I've seen pictures. Until doing this rewatch, I've never seen what some of these actors look like outside of the makeup, and so because sometimes you just have to do the extra legwork to find it because some of these actors you look up on IMDb and their pictures is from this from Babylon 5 so that's not helping you any and so until recent re- this recent re- re- rewatch I did not know really what Ch- Tim Choate looked like outside of the makeup cuz he's in crusade he's in makeup there I've never seen him in any other I've never yeah. seen him in any other thing ever. I assumed he would have been in Star Trek at some point, but no, I couldn't find no. him in Star Trek creds. I really thought he would have been one of those guys like John Vickery, yeah. who's like, oh, I was in Star Trek as well, but no, I he do- he did a mix of movies and TV. I know he's in like a soap opera or two, and yeah, some small... like he was in twenty episodes of The Bold and the Beautiful. Which, that wasn't the same one that uh, the Australian actor from uh, The War Prayer was in. He was in Days of Our Lives or Young and Restless or whichever it was. The bold and the beautiful and the Zathras. What happens to you when it jumps? Zathras die. But Zathras die for cause. Maybe stop great war. Maybe Zathras great hero. Maybe build statue to Zathras. And others come. Remember Zathras. You, know, you talk about not recognizing in the makeup, and I, I remember uh, reading a, a story uh, uh, with uh, from an interview with Mira uh, Furlan, and she was talking about, you know, I think they must have, you know, uh, cast him as Zaphis kind of early on, maybe shortly after the pilot was done and they were going to move the series. Um, and because she had talked about her struggles with, um, losing her femininity in the pilot and having an awkward kind of how to portray this kind of role. Like, you know, that's what she's, she's a talented actress. Um, and, you know, she, she can portray a lot, but she was, you know, different. And, but then when she said that, you know, after seeing his performance, you know, they're not in the same scene in this episode, but I think, you know, they must have overlapped, you know, in production. And she was good friends with Tim Start, from my understanding as well. So. Yeah, they became friends, and I think after working together, 
or working in the same production and uh, being like she was just, uh, kind of amazed at how much he changed himself because he was went from what she would think of as like a much more older kind of person to this young friendly outgoing kind of personality in real life and just and then that friendship with her and her husband as well with him that that lasted for many years unfortunately when he he died not not that long ago um when did he die then sorry you like guys probably early 2000 2004 yeah like it was he died fairly young uh, he, 49 49 uh, yeah um, I think yeah. so born in yeah like he, everybody saw what he was able to bring out in the performance um it seemed like he could have he he was destined to do more things but sadly didn't have that chance i saw an interview with him like someone recorded something back in the day of him at a panel or something or other or something where he's talking about going to the conventions for babylon 5 and how bizarre an experience this is because this was just a show for him. Like he did. Yeah, this was like just a gig, a small period of his life, and he had not experienced this type of phenomenon before. Of this type of performance, really capturing the mm-hmm. attention of people in a way where they wanted to see him at a convention and get his autograph. Like that's something that not a lot of actors actually do get, especially back in this period of time. Like all of the TNG cast, especially if he about- came from soap opera. Especially coming from soap operas, like people do. People in soap operas get. Um, get asked for autographs i don't think so no. my only my only personal encounter with a soap opera actor was i had a, a brief career doing tech support for dell in a call center and i can't put the guy's name now but the guy who i was helping he had called him asking for it support because he's just a soap opera actor he doesn't have a, a secretary to deal with his tech issues uh he was calling him the dell and then i, I look and he says oh and we're just chit-chatting and he said yeah i know i'm on the soap opera and i googled him and was like oh yeah i see you're on days or lives or whatever it was and i was like oh that's neat but you know these <laughs> so he's coming oh he's did many years on soap operas he's not getting asked for autographs he's probably barely being recognized uh maybe he gets some fan mail at, at best you know so it's a very different experience so are you ready for some of his other credits yeah does he did he not do any other sci-fi or much sci-fi? Because right. it's like, when I see actors like this, I go, oh, you must do lots of sci-fi, right? Because this performance is so crazy and alien, as as we've talked about, that I just he have to go. It has to be crime sci-fi. procedurals than sci-fi shows. Well, that's what Londo did beforehand, right? He was like hmm. in crime shows and stuff as yeah. well. So he's got 50 set, 56 credits in total and as i said a mixture of films but mostly tv so his first credit was the europeans which came out in 1979 so he would have been around 25 24 when they filmed that um he was in an episode of murder she wrote or or two i didn't double check whether they were jms written ones Mm. or not um, his last credit was Our Generation, okay, uh, which came out in 2004, I think. So he was working, seemingly working up until pretty close to when he passed. But the one, um, the two credits that I really wanted to pull out was PSI Love You, mm-hmm. which was a TV show. Yeah. Like P- what is that show? Do you want to watch it? Do no, should we no, do an episode by episode no. breakdown of that show? No, so it's like PSI 
space L-U-V. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of this show, Ryan? No, 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 no. Okay. I'm just taking you on. Um, so it, it basically looks fairly similar to the show White Collar, where there's like, except it's like a New York con artist gets roped into helping the NYPD. But the other one, the one that stood out to me. Oh, by the way, I just want to clarify. He did appear in a murder she wrote written. He did. He did appear in a murder she wrote written by JMS Zathras. That he he was in one that JMS wrote. Just just so we can confirm this. Okay, so he was in a 1995 comedy. Now, this is an R-rated comedy that has an average user score rating of a 5.3. Okay, and it's called Live Nude Girls. Was he in the Live Nude Girl? No. So it's a comedy where six women talk about sex. Is he one of the women? <laughs> no. So the idea is that these six childhood friends are coming back together for the first time in a while because it's one of their bachelorette parties. And the guys are having the bachelor party. So I think he's one of the bachelors. He's That's a pretty standard formula nowadays, right? There's yeah. always a rom-com of some... Or not rom-com, not the romantic side, but there's some sort of comedy involving yeah. Bachelor This movie does feature Kim Cattrall. Yes. And um, Adds up. D- uh, Dana Delaney as well, who, mm-hmm. hearing those two actresses are involved, this production all makes sense. Yeah. It all adds up. Um, and it, it, like, the trailer is a lot... While the men are talking business... What's the least amount of money you would stick your hand in a toilet for? The women will be telling some secrets. Come on, tell! Oh, tell. What? About doing it. Yeah, Tim Choate, he did a you know, he did a fair amount of work, but nothing that I've actually seen no. outside of this. And that's the benefit of... And Crusade. Uh, and Crusade. But I remember him as Zathras more than yeah. that guy. And that's the, the benefit of having to be in a cult... TV show of some sort where he did work, many pieces of work that most people will never remember him being in because he was little bit parts and side parts. Mm -hmm. But here he is in Babylon 5 being a little bit part again. He's in three or four episodes and the entire fan base loves Zathras. Everybody loves Zathras and it's because of Tim Choate's performance as well as the writing. But if he did not nail this performance, he would have been an annoying character or just one that we wouldn't even think about that fondly at all, if ever. And it is, uh, we, you know, it's something to applaud. He came in and he delivered this, uh, this performance here and it's something that has lingered. It is... One of the most memorable guest star performances in the entire run of Babylon 5. Just because of how dedicated he is to the physicality, to the vocal mannerisms, and just the makeup as well. Like we say, he completely physically transforms. I love that you have a hard time nailing down what he looks like. He looks like a wolf man. He looks like a caveman. He looks like a like a marsupial like little mm-hmm. creature. But it's really it, hard to it nail helps, it down. Because it's just like, he just looks like Zathras. Yeah, he looks like Zathras. And we've kind of talked about that in a that kind of amalgamation sort of effect with the way that the cultures are constructed of like, it's not just one thing. Yeah. Although there's, there's just one Zathras type where it's just Tim Choate playing all of yes. the Zathras's. Yes. But like, 
but the visual elements all bleed together to make it feel like it is something unique mm-hmm. rather than it's like, oh, it's got this part from this animal and this part from this animal and yeah. they've just sewn two costumes together. It's just like, no, they did. They made this for Zathras. And it isn't just some guy with a bump on his face. Yeah. Like Star Trek, where they like, put a little ridge on her nose so that she can still look sexy. That's how we got the Bajorans for, for Ro Laren. Was Rick Berman thought that uh, Michelle Forbes was really attractive and didn't want to put her in too much alien makeup, so they just put a little ridge on her nose because Rick Berman liked how she looked. And that's why the Bajorans look like that, because the actresses still need to be attractive. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, we don't have that with you. Well, the same thing. The same thing with uh, the trill. Yeah, we, right? got, we got to get those. That they already had ridges, and then we just got spots instead. Can they the go whole... all the way down there? Rick, Rick <laughs> Berman wants to know if they could go all the way down. Rick needs to know the answer to that question. To cap off the Zathras talk here, he's got amazing set of comedic line deliveries. I love the whole back and forth about. If you take Zathras, he dies. If you leave Zathras, he dies. Either way, it does not turn out well for Zathras. I love that exchange. I've always been a big fan of the character. To the point in which, for my 21st birthday, Rachel, you remember this. You were there. I you're, made it. Thank you very much. of it all. We had a sci-fi themed party for my 21st, and I dressed up as Zathras, Rachel. And I, we worked together, but Rachel did the main amount of the heavy lifting. I did lifting. the sewing, you did the ideas. And I got the stuff too. A, a good amount of the material. A lot of op shops were visited. A lot of secondhand stores Trying were to visited find the right to find... jacket and oh. then getting an awful wig from eBay. And, and then just then using, it, using it for something else. Spending... And- I spent hours constructing the fur tails. Yeah, and uh, I have my Zathras outfit sitting in the closet. I haven't really worn it that much since then because I haven't had an occasion. But whenever there's an occasion for a Zathras-themed uh, party, I'll be there in my Zathras outfit. So it is one of the few, I guess, cosplay things I've ever done. Yeah. Do you have the classic, like, you still kept your, your suit and... Rachel, your dress from the wedding, and then right next to it is in plastic the Zathras costume. It should be. <laughs> it should be. Should I, I, I should have worn that to the wedding. I should have dressed up as Zathras for well, a wedding. Threatened okay, that at one hypothetically, point. hypothetically, if you did, what's Rachel's? Hey, Rachel, what would you dress then as? What would be the matching? Is, is it girl Zathras? Or would you no. Sexy Zathras. Well, for sexy the- Zathras? <laughs> for the 21st, I dressed up as Jack Harkness. A female Jack Harkness. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But for our wedding, what what Babylon Five character would you be for our wedding? Oh, I would love to go as a Volan. I knew it. I was gonna say you're gonna be. <laughs> are you gonna be evil, Kosh? Like the purple one, <laughs> the one who's like Leto. The- I pull out of you quickly because I'm mean. The feeder. Yeah. Oh, the Nakaline feeder. That's a costume. <laughs> let's 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 remember that whenever Zaphis and Sinclair as Valen went back in time. They were met with the Vorlons, with Kosh and Josh, you know, whatever the other ones they're called. He was called Kosh. Uh, <laughs> he was also called Kosh, although we I called... We Kosh. Yeah, he had, tech, I guess, technically some other name. Um, but, uh, so maybe that 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 romance that had been, you know, is in the past of, of Kosh and Zathras that we just, we never knew about, but it was there. Impudent. 
what would you rate Babylon Squared? Yum being bad and yum yum being good. Yum yum. Yum yum. I just like how fucking ballsy and weird it was and Zathras and I give it a yum yum. Yum yum. Nick, where are you at? Yum That's being a yum, bad? Yum squared. Ooh, <laughs> a yum yum squared? Does that... Is that allowed? Is that allowed? I, I forgot to ask beforehand. Am I allowed to do yum yum squared? Oh, allow well, well, it on you, this one. You, you have allowed a yum and a yum, so yum 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 should be fine. It just allows me to play the clip twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important thing. Well, I was going to originally go with, oh, it's a yum squared, but technically that would still just be yum, right? Yum yum squared. That's how you that's how you win it out. Yum 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 yum. I have the DVD description for next week's episode of Babylon 5. On the next Babylon 5. Next time we'll be talking about episode 21 Rachel of 22 in season 1, The Quality of Mercy. An alien healing machine operated by a former physician, June Lockhart, brings relief to those who could otherwise not afford treatment. Is the machine good medicine or just quackery? Either way, it's vital to the escape attempt of a uh, psychopathic killer, Mark Royston, if I got that name correct. Rachel, are you excited for the quality of mercy? You know what they should have included in there? And Lanier and Londo have a boys' night out. (laughs) That should have been in the description of this one. And they have a boys' night out. Uh, Nick, it it has been such a pleasure to have you on. You've been a supporter and a listener of the show for a very long time, pretty much since the drop. We've been meaning to get you on, but your lacking familiarity with Discovery has made it a bit impossible. And then we got to Babylon 5, and I was like, Nick, do you want to come on? You're like, yeah, I want to come on for one of the last episodes of Season 1. I'm like, oh, that means you're going to have to wait a while, Nick. And you're like, that's fine. It's I'm worth here. it. It's worth it for I, it. Uh, I still feel like I picked a, a really good one, the one I was definitely happy to talk about. Yeah. Thank you again for having me on. Yeah, well, it has been fantastic, and I've enjoyed this very much. People, if you want to follow us on the social media, you can do so. We are on all of them at Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast, always posting things on there, posting further discussion points, some jokes, some fun times around. Come and join us for the yum yum on the internet on all of those social media platforms which is in the description of this episode you can easily find it we also uh have an email address in which you can email us with your questions your queries your thoughts and rachel we have a Patreon. Well, no, I was going to say, and concerns. That's oh. always where we end it. What's our email? <laughs> Yumyumpod at gmail.com. But I heard that you wanted to tell us that we have a what? What do we have? What else do we have, We Rachel? have a Patreon. And Nick mentioned earlier that we covered yesterday's Enterprise recently. We covered yesterday's Enterprise somewhat recently, a little while back. Nick is on the Patreon, and he is a part of our 
Patreon-only group Discord channel, which you can be a part of, obviously, if you join our Patreon. We talk about so many things in general. We are talking about the X-Men movies. We are talking about the best and worst rated episodes of Star Trek. We're giving our thoughts on things in general, whether they be uh, TV shows, whether they be podcasts, whether they be games. Oh, so many fun pieces of content on there. You should just come join. You know what? Come join. Come on down. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not messing around. If I'm, there is a fee for entry. There's a fee for entry. <laughs> Sign up today. Get the first yum. Uh, <laughs> buy one yum. Get the second yum for free. Yeah. Something like that. Get that exactly right. Rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you use that can allow you to do so. We accept only yum yum ratings, which is the highest amount of stars you can give on whatever site. Make sure to do that. It helps us out. It boosts our ego, and it's just a fun thing to do for a podcast that you listen to to let them know what you think of the show. By dropping a rating and review, it is greatly appreciated. I'm sure if I look on the Canadian one right now, I'm going to see not only a review from Pat saying, Moist, moist, I wet my pants, I enjoy Yum Yum Podcast so much. Isn't that right, Pat? I'm going to see that when I finish this recording, right? But I'm also going to see one from Nick saying, I had a great time, this podcast is Yum Yum, and his his title is not going to include Moist, moist. To separate him from his twin, yeah. You know? No, exactly. Yeah, we we can skip all the times you call me Pat on on this particular episode. Then I'll I'll write something distinct. I'm gonna keep calling you Pat now because and, you mentioned well, my fault. The, we gotta track down Timmy after that. <gasps> yeah, Timmy, the the yeah, third one. Timmy, Timmy, the third twin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the triplet, the long lost one. We haven't seen him in so many years, unfortunately. Well, Nick and Timmy. Not Pat, he's not here, but Timmy's here in spirit. I say, good eating to you. And Rachel? Good eating to you. 